And I want to welcome all of you here this morning. It's a great morning. I'm Dave, the pastor here at Chair City Church. In the beginning, we used to have, we had this term. We would say every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. So if you're here today, it's your first Sunday. Thank you, Lord. I'm believing that people have made you feel welcome. We expect guests. We have this expectation every Sunday that the Lord, our God, who we worship, is going to bring somebody into our midst for the purpose of knowing him and him glorifying himself in their lives. Yes? All right. So Sunday afternoon, I'm, I'm kind of vegging. That means, vegging means I'm, I'm just not doing anything. It happens. And I'm watching Rocky Four for a bit. I'm a big Rocky fan. I think I've seen Rocky One like several hundred times. I could like, you know, I could tell you what's coming up the line and all that. Uh, you know, it was my, you know, I'm Italian, all right, okay, and he's the Italian stallion. I think we actually have the same birthday, July 6th, all right? I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. It's like 90% of the people, all 300,000 of us were Italian, right? Could you imagine watching our first Rocky movie there in the Avenue Youth Theater? About 1,000 people, one theater, and you thought you were at the fight. People were standing up, screaming, yelling. Some of the things they were saying were not very nice. Well, it's another story. But it, it was just dynamic, man. I, I, was, I think I was like about 11 or 12 years old, and uh, it's like it was yesterday. So I'm watching Rocky Four. And this is where Rocky fights the Russian guy. He, you know, uh, I think his name is Drago. He's the Russian champion, the boxing champion. And uh, Rocky, he goes to Russia there to, to now fight. The fight's going to be in Russia. And, he's, and he, uh, he trains there. And, and, he, and he chooses not to train in America, but to go there and train. And not just in Russia, uh, in facilities where the champion, the Russian champion is training, but he chooses to train out in the barren wilderness. We'll call it Siberia, because that's what it looked like if you've seen the movie. This cabin, I don't even know if it had electric, just rocks and fire and wood, and that was it. And that's kind of the pattern you'd see in every Rocky movie, you know, where he would, you know, it was actually a critical part, a climactic part of the Rocky movies is when he would now go to train, you know, because it was always something unique and, and kind of raw about it, whether he drank raw eggs or, you know, he hit that slab of beef hanging from the, in the meat locker, that, that half a cow hanging, <laughs> right, you know, it's like, oh, it's just awesome, right? All right, a little too much, over the top, but or how about what else? He chased the chicken. He had to catch the chicken. Or how about just running up those concrete stairs in Philadelphia, raising his hands? You know, that training, that kind of unorthodox, you know, training that brought him out of that comfort zone, you know? And a common element was that Rocky, he wasn't using the nicest and the latest equipment. He was getting out of all these common areas, huh? The last, or not the last, one, two, three, three, the th Rocky three. Now he, he goes and he leaves his luxurious home, life has been good to him, and he goes into the, the ghetto in Los Angeles, you know, to train now to fight Mr. T. Remember that dude? Huh? And, and, and he does that now to what? Why did he do that? Why did he train in these difficult teams? Well, that's desirable kind of confines to get the eye of the tiger. You remember that? Yeah, I wasn't about the song, but I certainly was about the movie. And all that was really all these different types of training if you haven't seen the movies, watch them. They're just awesome, okay? I mean, you know what's good? That if you're ever in a bad mood or you're struggling, I mean, you could see, sing Amazing Grace. I do. But sometimes I just put on Gonna Fly now, you know? And it gets me going. Amazing Grace gets me going, too. Uh, just in different ways, right? <laughs> one motivates me. One inspires me. Amazing Grace inspires me. Gonna Fly now motivates me. You got it? Okay, and there's a difference, but both are good. Now, listen. Listen. 
what would happen here is Rocky would, this eye of the tiger, what Rocky was doing here in all of these movies was he was finding a way to develop an edge. Say with me, say edge. Yeah, because he, you know, he was always the smaller guy. He always was the underdog. You know, that was the theme of the movie. How could this underdog, you know, beat these persons who are seemingly physically stronger, bigger, better? But, but he had the edge. The under, this underdog had an edge, and that's what was going to be a key in him being successful to win, to be successful, to carry on as a champion. When I turn my attention away from Rocky... And I look to the church, you and I, the church is the history of the church, the church, local and universal. I wonder if the church has maybe lost its edge. The church, not a, a, a hierarchy of, of leadership, the church, not a denomination, the church, not a building, but the church as a movement, because that's what the church is. It's a movement that this movement has lost some of its edge over time. And even today, perhaps, it's a lot less edgy than it used to be. And maybe that's because they've lost their boldness and because they've lost their focus. In the beginning, the church, which had a whole lot of edge going on, they focused on a few simple things. One of the things they focused on was, hey, everybody, we're all living forever. Yeah, no, no. I mean, when they got up in the morning and they seen their friends hanging from crosses and they heard about their brother or sister or somebody they knew well that had gotten killed, Huh? By the Jewish leaders or by the Roman government, it was like, you know what? We're going to live forever. We will have everlasting life. This is not all we have. The best is yet to come. Yes? And they had this thought in their mind that God has sent us the answer to the dilemma called death. And that answer is Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name. And, and that was an edge. You have an edge this morning as you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, and him sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now part of that edge that they had also is that they were filled with love, great love for one another, and even love for those outside the church. And the people in the community, in those areas, they, they would say, wow, like literally like, wow, how do they do that? How do they love one another like that? They even would identify them as followers of Jesus by the way they loved one another and loved others outside of the church. And even those who didn't join their movement still admired the way they conducted themselves with this love and this edge, so much so that they favored them continually, year to year, decade to decade, century to century, millennium to millennium. That's why we're here today. Now, there's a man named Luke. He writes this book called Acts. I'm practicing it. It really, it really what it is, we, we, it's, he writes a letter. He writes a letter in ancient time, about 2,000 years ago, give or take, he writes this letter. We today call it above Acts, and we've put it in, with a collection of other letters in something we call the Bible. But it's this incredible ancient letter. Picture you're out there, you're doing some geocache, and I haven't done that in years, or you're digging, you know, you're out there with one of those, what do they call metal detectors? You dig up and you find this, like, this, like thick kind of paper-type, parchment-type stuff, and, and, you, you, and it's got all this writing on it, and you have it interpreted. It's this incredible letter about this in, amazing thing that happened 2,000 years ago where this group of people came together under, under unthinkable circumstances 
and everything it says in here happened. They went on to change the world. Wow, you'd pay attention to that, right? You'd give it some credibility, huh? Luke tells us that the early church, the people who were part of the early church, had an edge. And because of that edge, they had favor in their community. And there was, there was this wonderful thing about them. They were bold. They were unafraid. Huh? And that's because they were saying, we have the answer to death, and that answer is Jesus. They weren't thinking about losing control. They weren't worried about what they were afraid of. They knew the best was yet to come, that they would spend an everlasting life with their Heavenly Father, and that meant more than anything else, that they had the answer to death. I believe the time has come for us as a church to regain our edge, to regain our boldness, to regain our focus. That's what we are about here. We are part of a movement. We are privileged to be part of this movement, a movement like the world has never, ever seen. Today we're going to look at a brief story that's part of this letter that Luke wrote. By the way, Luke was a doctor. He was an intelligent man. I know you, you people hear a lot about the church was started by just some simple fishermen, and that's partially true. Actually, that happened. Those incredible, God-inspired, brave men who were fishermen really did get the church going with some others, and it was in Jerusalem. And then people like Luke, who was a doctor, and Paul, who was a really a very educated Jew, came along, and God worked through them, and together they brought the church to the rest of the world, to God be the glory, right? So it is a joint effort, right? People of all education, of all incomes, of all nationality, of all ethnic backgrounds, of all color genders coming together huh, to keep the movement going. All right, so last week we talked about Peter and John. We were in Acts chapter 4. And the, Peter and John were uh, leaders, same person you might know as St. Peter or St. John. And, and they were like a critical part of that early church, that movement. And they were going around. Last week we talked about how they were going around and telling you know, people about Jesus. And they came across this man who was crippled from birth. Man was looking for money and they said, we don't have any money, but here's what we got for you. Get up and walk. And he did. Boo, commotion, right? More people came, they told more people about Jesus, and they were telling, they were using that R word, that Jesus had been resurrected. What a claim. And then they also basically blamed the religious leaders of the time. Of the time. They said, hey, you, these religious leaders, your religious leaders, they put him to death, they crucified him. Well, these religious leaders who made up of what was called the Sanhedrin, meaning the Supreme Court, Republicans and Democrats don't play fair, these guys were pretty brutal. And they they had, in fact, lent their hand and facilitated Jesus being crucified. So they were like, they were not fond of what Peter and John were saying. They did not want them to talk about it. So they pulled them in, Peter and John, and they threatened them. And they told them, do not do this, do not speak this name again, do not talk about this again. And here is Peter and John's reply in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, 19 through 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you, or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. <laughs> what we have seen, not just heard, but we saw it. We were eyewitnesses to this. What we're telling people, we saw for ourselves. Somebody might give their lives for something that they think is a, they think is a truth, but it's a lie. But would you give your life for something you know is a lie, and you're telling people the truth? I don't think so. They knew this was true. They had seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had seen him in the flesh. So now we go over to Acts chapter 5. 
And Peter and John, true to their word, they're going out and they're speaking about Jesus. And they're performing miracles. And more people are gathering and more people are listening. And this causes the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, that supreme court, to become even more jealous and more angry. They go and they arrest Peter and John. And they toss them in jail overnight. And something just peculiar, incredible happens. This letter, the, in the book, in the, in this letter, Paul, Luke writes that somehow someone opened the gate of the prison and they were set free. So when the religious leaders came the next day, the prison was securely locked, but they, Peter, John, and the other followers, or other apostles that were with them, are all now gone. They're not only gone, but one of the religious leaders says, hey, they're out there in front of the temple doing that stuff again. They're telling people about Jesus. They're telling people that Jesus was resurrected. And they're telling people that we crucified this Jesus. So this really gets these Pharisees, the title for men on this Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court, huh? Now, they, they want these guys' throats, but they know they can't get aggressive about it. They can't just storm the front of the temple and grab these guys because they're helping people. They're miracle workers. People are so, you know, think well of them. So they got to be political about this. You had Pharisees, Sadducees, you had the Sanhedrin. Same political nonsense. So much corruption, so much pain, so much distortion, so much division. And so they come up with, they have, okay, you know what we do? We'll approach them calmly. So pretty much they approach Peter and John and some of the other followers, and they sort of ask them to arrest themselves, you know, like, could you come with us, <laughs> you know? And they do. So now Peter and John and the other apostles, the other followers of Jesus there, the core group, they go before the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders. I encourage you to read Acts chapter 4 and 5. You'll get the whole thing, the whole story here, detail by detail, blow by blow. But here, let's read Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 28. And it says, The apostles, Peter, John, and the other followers of Jesus, were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. This is the chief justice, very powerful man. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. That's interesting, right? They don't even want them to, they won't even say the name Jesus, the high priest. He won't even say, we told you not to talk about Jesus. He won't even mention the name. It just creates this disruption, this, this un, you know, how, how things haven't changed that much. We're just truly, I don't know, I'm, I'm just stating a fact here, I'm not, I'm just calling it like it is that something about saying that name Jesus, that, you know, just for whatever reason, I, maybe it's perception, maybe it's true, I think it's both, meaning depending on the circumstances, that there's a hesitation or a, a, you're uncomfortable to say that name Jesus, huh? You know, no, don't get me wrong. Scripture talks about in Peter how, how would it be gentle, and I'm gentle. If somebody gives me a platform sometimes and asks me to pray, because I go out in community uh, affairs, and, and, uh, and I'm surprised when they say, uh, Pastor, you know, it's not, it's not a gathering of ministers. It might be a gathering of people, business people. They say, would you like to pray? And I say, okay. And, you know, I might not and often don't end in the name of Jesus. Because they've given me a platform. They're trusting in me. I'm not looking to turn around and get everybody at the table. I know God is drawing somebody close to him. Huh? I'm looking for that one person. I'm not looking to hook everybody in. Boom, 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 boom. I'm looking to just cooperate with what God is doing. Huh? And I want them to say, wow, this guy had the easy layup. This guy had the time, but he didn't do that. He was considerate. 
He was caring. He thought about who was at this table. That's what I want them to get, huh? That edge, you know? I don't need that. Pla I just need God working through me. Now, but there are other times where I'm in my backyard talking to a neighbor, where I'm hanging out at the store, where I go and help somebody in the parking lot, huh? And then I'm good with using Jesus' name, you know? Like, well, that's so good, and, and you know, what, you know I, what, what makes you live like that? What, you know, why did you do that? You know, I, I was just, I don't know, the thought came to me. I was struggling, and my stuff was swollen. Like, you know, just, man, I wish I had some help, and you show over. And so, you know what, I, honestly, I, I just really think Jesus spoke to me. You know, I, I, I love, I'm, I follow Jesus, and, and uh, it's, uh, I do. Uh, I love God and, and Jesus. And, you know, I, I'll invoke that. If somebody's here, I will, I'm not ashamed of that name, you know? It's a beautiful name. It's a powerful name. No other name like the name of Jesus, huh? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds, yes? It does, it does. All right, so I'm off track here, okay? All right, let's go to verse 28. We gave you strict orders now. This is the high priest speaking to the apostles of Jesus. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are deterred to make us guilty of this man's blood. <laughs> so these leaders are concerned that people are going to perceive them to be what they are. This stuff sounds pretty familiar, right? For killing Jesus. And Peter says, you know what? Look, you are guilty. Who's kidding who? Jesus did, was raised from the dead, and you did kill him. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 through 31. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed, oops, said it again, sorry about that, by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, to repentance and to forgive their sins. And here's this next part. I don't want you to miss this. I do believe that this next part puts Christianity in a totally different category than all other religions. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Peter says, we are witnesses of these things, meaning we saw these things. We are witnesses to these things. We saw it happen. You saw it happen. Who are you trying to fool? Peter goes on to say, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter says, you're wasting your time. You're wasting my time. I'm going to keep doing this. You do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do what we know because we saw what we saw. We know we know. We have the answer to death, and it is Jesus. We know a key to life is to love one another and to love others. Huh? We know that meekness and gentleness is power under control. We have the answers. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard this, the Sanhedrin the religious leaders, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. It gets better. Hang in here. This makes sense, you know? They're like, these religious leaders are like, enough is enough. I mean, they're probably foaming at the mouth. Let's just crush these men, these ringleaders, right? These main group of followers, whatever they call them, apostles or whatever they are, and then we will put an end to this movement once and for all. This nonsense, this irritation, this disruption... Put an end to it. I want you to listen to what happens next. Now, again, you've dug up this document, this letter, 
uh, it's an authentic document. You take it somewhere and to a lab and they tell you, you know what? No, by looking at this paper and dating it, it's really 2,000 years old. We have like something like 26,000 manuscripts that have, put on, that have been put under such tests to authenticate this letter and, and, and its content. So listen to what happens next. I think it's interesting, and I, speak so much, I think it speaks so much to the credibility and validity of what we call Christianity and of this letter, which is with other letters part of what we call the Bible. Acts chapter 5, verse 34 through 38. But a Pharisee, now one of these religious leaders, one of these guys on the Supreme Court there named Gamaliel, I'm slaughtering in his name probably. He's a teacher of the law. He's honored by the people. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Just send those guys outside. Let me talk to you guys, my fellow Sanhedrin members. And he says, listen, if we kill these men, instead of having one martyr, this, you know his name, the guy on the, you know, the cross, we're going to have 12, we're going to have a lot more martyrs. And here's what I'm thinking, he says to his fellow Pharisees. Verse 35 of Acts chapter 5 says this. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He said, hey, remember this guy, Thaddeus? Everyone, you know, he said he was going to do something special. He had a new way of, of, of teaching and understanding things. He stirred people up, and he got 400 people to follow him. 400 people. And then you know what happened? The Romans crushed him. Like a, they, they, they crushed him. They killed him. And his followers were nowhere to be found. And Gamil goes on to say this in Acts 5, chapter 5, verse 37. He said, and after him, there was Judas the Galilean appeared. This isn't Judas Iscariot. This is another Judas. And it's about 15, 20 years before they're speaking. And he says, and after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. And he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers scattered. So he's saying, hey, I'm giving you another example of this guy named Judas. Remember him? He made a big splash. He came along. He got people to follow him. He motivated them. He had these grand ideas about how he was going to change the world. And the Roman government came along, and probably with their help, our help, and bam, they crushed him like a bug, man. And what happened? All his followers scattered. And all these other members, these religious leaders are sitting there listening, saying, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I was like 18, oh my, I was like, you know, 30 years old, or, or I was, yeah, I was 40, yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, this really happened. And it really, the history of the world tells us these events took place. Verse 38, therefore, he's continually speaking now, in the present case, in the present case, what's he talking about? This whole Jesus movement, these people who are following Jesus, huh? He didn't use the name Jesus. He says, I am, Gamaliel says, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail, just like all the others before them have failed. If it's another fad, what he's saying, if it's just a, like this moment, if it's self-promoted by a self-promoted radical leader who's gotten bold and sassy and crazy, it's going to fall flat on its face just like all the other movements before it has. 
you know and I know that no human movement can overcome the Roman Empire, which they knew then and we still know now is probably the most, the strongest, most powerful empire known to, man, to humankind. And then Gamaliel says this, there's a big but. Say but. Yeah. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Now think about the implications of this statement. Go further and consider what conclusions you can intellectually draw from this statement. I mean, logically. Let me help you. Here's what he's saying. The only thing that could overcome the power and control of Rome in this region or the world is God. That's the only thing that's going to take Rome down. It's God. God. Any man, any little group of people from our Jewish community, that we, we are not going to be able to do that. It would take an act of God. Have you ever visited the city of Rome today? I've not, but I've seen pictures. I've heard stories. I've seen videos. I mean, today, like Rome today. Do you know that today, in the city of Rome, there are more crucifixes there, crosses there, than anywhere else in the world? And they don't represent the people who were killed and murdered by the Roman Empire. They represent one man, one crucifixion, one resurrection, and that's Jesus. And that's a powerful thought, isn't it? A single event in the greatest event in the history of the world that we wouldn't even know about if it wasn't for these letters. A crucifixion that ended in a resurrection, and today there in Rome, the cross reigns, and the cross is now not a symbol of the Roman government, but a symbol of what, the, of what the, that, it, that this was of God, that what this movement was of God, this movement who, that had edge, that had boldness, that was focused on simple things, like we are going to live forever, and Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he's our Savior and Lord, this changed the world. The Roman Empire, not there. Jesus, there. And Gamil, Gamil was, he was exactly right. The only thing that would be able to overcome the Roman government within their culture would be an act of God. Because this movement was unlike any movement the world had ever seen and would, and would ever see. And it would ultimately be called the church. That's what was happening. That was the act of God. God working through people like you and me, young, old, that decided to put aside fear, preferences, and just decided to believe that Jesus was resurrected, decided to live from love, decided to get a bit edgy huh, and be a bit bold. So the other religious leaders, they thought about it. They tossed it around. And verse 40 says this, his speech, Gamamil, persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So, you know, I think flogging meant like whipping didn't mean a lot to us until we seen the passion of Christ, right? It's like, oh, oh God. Brutal movie, right? All of a sudden, flogging took on a whole different meaning. I don't know how some of you see it like two or three times. I'm like, once was totally good enough for me, you know? You, you, when, you, when you come to, we, we were in Florida, Christian and I, when we saw that movie. The theater was packed. We had to sit in the front row. 
and at the end, you, you could, no one was moving. I, I, I watched for six minutes and 36 seconds. I watched my watch. No one in the, they, all you could hear was a sniffle, maybe a creaking of a chair. People just sat there stunned at what they had just experienced. Yeah? Even more so than Schlinder's List. You ever watched Schlinder's List? At the end, it's kind of also a very good movie. Uh, some questionable stuff in it, but a, but a good movie. But at the end, that also, people were quiet, but they were moving. At the end of The Passion of Christ, nobody moved. Nobody got up out of their seat. All right, so. And also, I want you to know that when you were flogged, which meaning, if you didn't see The Passion of Christ, you, your skin was shredded. I mean, there was some serious damage going on. They were like whips with bones in them and nails in them. I mean, you, they were tearing into you. And so you are now going to be scarred for life. You go swimming, take it. Oh, he got flogged, you know. You walk around with your shirt on, you're going to have these permanent scars. Uh, yeah, he did something wrong. Huh? And they're like, yeah, I stood for Jesus, man. Yeah, that's what I did. I'm part of a movement, and it's a great movement. We've got edge, and we love others, and we're going to change the world. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who God has called. Wow, wow. What do you, what do, you do with that? How do you respond to that? Where, where do you and I today go with this? I mean, it's, it's really magnanimous. It's kind of like really beyond us in some ways. So look, I want you to apply this to your life. I want you to be inspired by what happened here. Because it is. I mean, it, it's, it's a made-for-movie stuff. It really did happen. It really is recorded. It is credible. Jesus, the movement is still going. Gamaliel was right. If this is of man, if this is of people, it's going to die. It would only take God. It would have to be of God for it to keep going. And praise God, here we are today, and it's going, right? It is. That's awesome. We carry that torch. So here, I, I want to give you some steps before we close out today. I'm going to try and fly through them but some steps to get you going in a direction. So maybe you're not going to run out there and say, somebody whip me and whip me. You know, okay, I got that. Flog me, flog me. But I want you to have edge. I want you to be bold. I want you to enjoy doing this. And I want us to stay focused. So look, here's some steps, simple steps. And I get it. Compared to what they went through, it's nothing. But yet, it's something. God does a whole lot with our something, huh? There are times I said, God, just help me take the step. Just, just God, here's what I can do. God... But, but it, it's, it's what I, God just take it, multiply it. You know, he multiplies it exponentially. He really does. I can give you dozens of stories how I just stepped out and, and trusted God with what little I had, what limited I thought I had, and how he multiplied that in a magnificent way. All right, so, one, here are some simple suggestions. Being edgy, being bold. Bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. That's what bold is in our culture. I could say something right now, but you know what? I'm not going to say anything because they might not like me or, oh, you know what? They might know who I am and then they're going to be looking at my life and how I live it. Or, you know what? This just, you know, look, there's a gentleness. Jesus is gentle. The God Holy Spirit is gentle. But there's a time to be bold, and that time is a lot more than not. Be bold. No. Look, you will know. God will prompt you to say 
what needs to be said, to put that out there. Next, this, Bode is taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Opportunities like, I'm going to a church that just renovated an 18,500 square foot building and did a darn good job doing so. Huh? That's for you. Thank you for all your time, your sacrifice, your efforts, your long nights, your giving. Look what you did, huh? This is a beautiful place. You did an incredible job. You did it in a way of not being divisive, no complaining. People say, oh, you must have had a lot of arguments. I don't remember one argument. Oh, you must have had a lot of devices. There was no division. It was unity. Oh, you must, people must have been arguing about the colors. No one argued about the colors. We have some funny color stories where I rebel against people and they come again. Yeah, it was all good, man. We glorified God. Yes, we did that. This is a great story to talk about, huh? Just talking about what God has done here in this church with your friends is a beautiful thing. Oh, by the way, it's a really popular building. You know, that Sacred Heart School, people have affection for it, they're familiar. When people come in, we've had people come in, walk through and say, you know, I'm visiting the area, I'm from the other part of the state, I'm from Texas, I heard what's going on here, I just wanted to stop in. And when, you know what? Every single person has expressed a gladness. Almost like an excitement for us. They were, look, wow, this is incredible what you've done. What you've done to God be the glory. Tell them about this. Tell them about the story, how people went down 10 feet underground. Tell them about how they carried blocks of concrete that weighed hundreds of pounds, how they crept up to the ceilings, how they painted walls, how they cleaned floors. Tell them about this, how they got on their knees and hands and how they did it all for like 25 cents, 30 cents on the dollar, how they came, and while they were doing this, how they gave sacrificially with their money and how they came together and how they got to know each other, how, how they helped one another, how, how they, people who were shy came out of their shell and people who were hurting were healed and people who didn't even believe in God came and came into the church and know God and know Jesus and this is awesome! I love this! This is the edge! This is bold. This is what you are a part of. You are part of a movement. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be inspired this morning by the presence of God that he is in our midst. He is working through our lives and through this church, you, a movement. It is alive. It is fierce. And it is present. Take advantage. Boldness is taking advantage of an opportunity like, you know what, maybe I should buy that person a Bible. Yeah, you know, I... I, I'm going to go out, there's all these different Bibles, you know, addiction Bibles, men's Bibles, women's Bibles, Yankee Bibles. They should make a Yankee Bible. <laughs> you know, as I get to the end, I get tired. When I get tired, I get silly. All right, so. But I mean, I'm, and, you know, I'm even going to highlight some verses in it. And, I'm, you know, because I know in this thing we call the Bible are some of these letters of antiquity that are so valid and so credible and so life-changing. And it'll help them come into this movement that I know will change their lives for the better. And they will know what I know. They will have the answer to death. They will have the answer to this dilemma that haunts us, death. They will know everlasting life. So, opportunities. Maybe you want to invite a friend to join you at serving in this kid zone. Yeah. You know, going out there in a community, hanging out with other people, helping, making a difference in the community, you might actually see somebody, which we often do, that you know. Oh, what are you doing here? This is a great thing. I didn't know you were part of this. I am. 
I'm part of this great movement. You could use words you want, but you know that's what you're a part of. Say, so, oh, yeah, you know, I, I heard about them. Well, oh, this is what they are. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, yeah, we just, this is who we are. You know, we just, just this group of people who like to do something that's beneficial to the city, and we like to help out the city, and we have a lot of fun. We come together like, wow, this is impressive. Because, by the way, it's always impressive. We do things in an impressive way, right? That's not grandiose. That's not arrogant. That's me thanking you for your time, your money, your giving, your generosity, your dedication, your servanthood. That's what makes it impressive, huh? Have you ever gone out to a Christmas tide when we, ha- when we served the House of Peace and Education to a GCAC banquet to the kids' zone and not have people tell us we are impressed by this? They do. And you get to encounter and be, feel glad and, in, and, and to be emboldened that you are part of the movement. And maybe you might actually say to them, hey, you know what? You want to come next Sunday? You could actually say that. You want to come next Sunday? Check this out. See what these people are about? You want to come and check out the building? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you can do this. You can begin to interact with people. But you're serving. Of course, there is the other thing that somebody might see you and you don't want anybody to know about it. Well, that's something you got to deal with God about. Huh? That's something you got to sit down and say, what am I doing, man? I am part of a movement. I am part of something that is so credible so valuable, that has changed the world, that has changed people's lives, that has ended slavery, that has brought in civil rights, that has brought women and children from down to up, that has changed the hearts of kings and leaders of nations, that has given us everlasting life. This is the movement that I'm a part of. What am I doing? Why am I putting it in my back pocket? Why am I hiding it? I'm going to have edge today. I'm going to have some swag today. My younger people swag me over like, what's swag? I have to tell some people what the Sanhedrin is. I have to tell other people what swag is. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm such a man of renaissance, if that's the word. I don't know. I don't even know what renaissance is. Okay, anyway. And how about baptism? We're going to finish this out quickly. How about baptism? Yeah, next week we're going to have a baptism where people will come up here in this big tank of water with people clapping and thanking God and they're going to get submerged in water saying, you know what, the way I thought, the way I lived, what I trusted in, who I was, my past, my hurts, it's, I am putting it, it is dying, man. And I'm coming up new now with an edge, with a boldness and a focus to live for Jesus, to trust in him. Uh, that is what's going to be, that's what's going to dominate my life and my thinking. To God be the glory. Now, you might get flogged for that one, depending on your uh, past religious, uh, you know, affections. You might get flogged for getting baptized. I'm joking. I don't think you'll get flogged for getting baptized. All right. You might get yelled at. It's all good. And how about invite your friends and family, you know? Maybe you'll be less likely to get flogged or criticized if they come in here and seen what a wonderful thing that happened. You know, we have people that have come in here that were hesitant or critical of people being baptized, came in here, and came to know G- and came to be part of the movement, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. We've had people do that. We've had people of same-sex attraction, some of who are just people, smarter than I am, maybe not as smart, Better, I, I'm just saying, they're, just, they're people like me, but this is how they, live, they choose to live out a particular part of their life, come up, sit in the front row, and wind up going on to go to church 
and draw closer to Jesus. I'm telling you. Because this is a movement that has edge, that has boldness, that has focus, and that changes the world. And in the world, there are people. And God is working through all of this. All right, so I'm going to just fly through. Look, now, I want to just close it out with this. I'm going long. Worship team, why don't you come up here? You might have to stand around for a few minutes. But I don't want to... Look, if you're, in your, if you're in here right now and you're saying, you know what, Dave, I'm really not in this Christian category. Uh, I, I know what you're thinking, you know. Uh, you know, and matter of fact, you know what, I, I kind of dislike this thing about Christians, no matter how you do it. It's like when I told Christian when we first met, we were on the phone, and we're talking, and I'm like, you know what, why don't you just go there? She's like, what do you mean? Come on, just get it out of the way. Ask me if I believe in Jesus, what I think about Jesus. I said, I know, that's what you are all about. Talk about baseball, the weather, politics, gum on your shoe, you're going to bring it back to Jesus, so just do it, right? Because that's, that's the Christians that I knew. That's who took me in off the streets. That's who gave me food. That's th these Christians that had an edge and had a boldness and a focus to love others. I knew that's what they did. So I knew, okay, I know you're shtick. I know, you, I know you're going to go there, Christy. You know, just go there. Let's get it out of the way. I'll tell you how that conversation went another time, all right? I know you're thinking, why, just, why, why can't you just keep it to yourself? Why do you got to just put it out there on us like this? You know? And, and, and here's the thing. I just want you to hear me out now, if you're in here, and I believe you are, that, you know, I'll, first of all, I want to I encourage you this, that most Christians, you're safe. Yeah, most Christians, you're safe. Don't worry about it. Christians you play golf with, Christians you work with, Christians that are out there, you're safe. They might not tell you about Jesus. They might not invite you to church. They might not turn around and get your Bible. They might not turn around and show up at your door with something that just popped in their head that's meaningful in your life. You're, you're safe, just so you know. Most Christians, you're safe with them. But yeah, this is Chair City Church, and I'm Dave Trelongo, and I got a ton of friends here, and we're part of the movement, so we don't do it that way. We don't. We love this thing called Jesus. Huh? We love Jesus. And you see, here's the thing. Here's why we do this. This, this verse, we call it John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, we really believe God loved the world, that he gave something, he didn't ask for anything, that he gave his Son, so that we would have the answer to death, that we would have hope in all circumstances, no matter what's going on, hope. And we are just compelled and inspired to share this hope with people around us. So that life, we believe life has a greater meaning. There's more to life than just this. And you know what? I think you know that. I think you know that there's more to life than just our everyday hustle and bustle, than just being born and dying, and that's it, no meaning, end of story. I think you know there's more to life than that. You just haven't connected the dots. And what we hear humbly, what we're saying is, listen, here's this incredible letter that's so credible, that's so authentic. It's part of a collection of other letters that we call the Bible, and it's so credible, and it's been proven in so many different ways, and it's calling you and me to a movement, to a living and a loving God who changes lives and who has the answer to death. And I hope that in spite of us sometimes, and I believe in spite of us, that God will continually draw you to him. That that thing inside, what I call that insatiable yearning, 
for the transcendental, you know, for something larger than me, that this is God drawing you closer to him, wanting you to, to make a peace with him, meaning to know that peace is being close to him, to wanting you to say, you know what, just, wow, I, I've, I've pushed you, I've clouded you, I, I, I've maybe despised you in some ways, but today, today, I'm glad to be in your presence. Today, I, I welcome your presence, and I acknowledge that you have been stirring me, that you have been drawing me closer to you, and today, I want to be right with you. So forgive me for this way of living. Today, I turn my life around. I am filled with hope. I am filled with gladness. I'm going to enjoy my life with you, and you are going to glorify yourself in me. Yes? And this is what we call the beginning of you being saved, of you knowing Jesus, of you going in this trajectory of what we know is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this day. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we are grateful for this day and your love in our lives. God, I pray right now that all who are in here, oh God, just pause right now, do a little bit of self-examination and reflection, call out to you, their God, to enable them to have that edge, to be bold, to be focused on what's most important, oh God. Let the God, right now, God, Holy Spirit, help them rise above emotionally and intellectually their circumstances and any distractions, and let them know that you are speaking to them. And for that one person, two people, whoever they are that are here today, may they just right now shut down the filters, Shut down any negative preconceptions. Shut down the fear in the name of Jesus. And just hear your still and gentle and wonderful voice speaking to their hearts, calling them home to be with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.